Hi, I'm Dr. Pat Basu, the host of Focus on Cancer, the show that answers everyday questions that cancer patients have about their treatment and the delivery of their care. On today's show, I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Ankur Parikh. Dr. Parikh is the Medical Director of Precision Medicine at Cancer Treatment Centers of America and a world-renowned expert in precision medicine and immunotherapy. Dr. Parikh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Pat. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we're grateful that you're taking the time away from uh, treating patients and and fighting cancer to share your expertise and uh, and thoughts on the exciting world of immunotherapy. So, for our audience today, I'm really hoping to open up the um, the the canvas and the mystery on everything about immunotherapy. Really giving our audience a sense of what it is, and and not only the advances that we've made to date, but what I would say are some incredible advances to come. So, looking forward to doing that with you, Dr. Parikh. I know you and I share an incredible uh, passion and excitement about uh, the directions which immunotherapy can take us. But before we get uh, directly into those topics, I love to to just ask our guests, um, you know, a little bit about what what brought them to uh, this battle in cancer. So in in your professional career, what what caused you to uh, to become a, a hematologist oncologist? Yeah, sure. Great question. Um, you know, I was an oddball. I knew in high school that not only did I want to be a doctor, but I wanted to be an oncologist. You know, throughout my high school years, I was able to see firsthand um, the impact that cancer had not only on people, but also, you know, their loved ones and family and friends surrounding them. Uh, one example is my my uncle was diagnosed with colon cancer um, back when I was in high school, and, and thankfully he's doing great now, but I got to see firsthand the impact that, you know, going to treatments and, and dealing with chemotherapy and, and more importantly, the stress that it caused the, the family um, as well. And so I kind of kept this curiosity as I got into medical school and did more rotations in oncology and got to really see all the odd things that were out there, such as, you know, stem cell transplants to, you know, treating solid tumors. And, and it really just continued to, to, uh, to fuel that fire of, of really understanding, you know, what is out there in oncology. And what was just really mesmerizing was the pace at which new therapies were, were coming along, uh, you know, whether it be uh, uh, targeted therapies, immunotherapies, and really perfecting a lot of this. And so as I got more advanced in my, in my training, you know, uh, the landscape just kept evolving and it was just that excitement that, that kept me motivated to keep going in this field. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I personally always say that I feel very privileged to, uh, to, to do what we do. The, you know, the, the humanity and the care of cancer patients is always so fulfilling. Um, and the, the science, as you said, is always advancing and, and so dynamic. So I am, uh, I'm sorry that you had to be exposed uh, to this battle at an early age uh, with, uh, with your uncle's diagnosis, but I'm glad to hear that he's uh, doing better, and I'm certainly very grateful that you uh, that you chose to become an oncologist and uh, and certainly the director of precision medicine at Cancer Treatment Centers of America. So tell me a bit about uh, about your role. What what do you do? What do you focus on as uh, as the director of precision medicine? Sure. So I've been in this role for uh, quite a few years now, and it's really interesting because we didn't really learn much about genomics in medical school. Um, you know, we know that uh, there's targeted therapies out there, and and certain uh, uh, targeted therapies work better for specific cancers. But really, the past few years, it's been extremely groundbreaking with the role of genomic testing and sort of where that fits in the paradigm of treating uh, advanced cancers. And and I do a lot of genomic 
testing. You know, we have a great program here at Cancer Treatment Centers of America, uh, uh, looking at these options for our patients and enrolling them on clinical trials. And so for the past few years, I've really spearheaded that, that organization uh, to be able to offer these types of therapies for our, our patients and, and diagnostic testing, and then trying to bring clinical trials here to offer these uh, treatments that we think may potentially work better than conventional standard chemotherapy, which you know doesn't really necessarily target a specific mutation uh, that we think might be driving the cancer. Terrific. Well, you know, on a previous show, we had uh, we had Dr. Bonilla on uh, talking about clinical trials and and the, and the power of that. And and certainly in a moment, we're going to really dive deep into immunotherapy with you. But you, you mentioned genomic testing for, for our audience. Can you just kind of break that down? What, what exactly is genomic testing? Why is it important? Why is it done? Yeah, sure. So it gets confusing because I think there's genomics and there's genetics. And so one thing to always keep in mind is genetics is what you were born with, right? So do you have a hereditary cancer syndrome? Genomics is really looking at the actual cancer itself. So not necessarily something you were born with, but it could be something that you acquired. And so usually what we do is either a biopsy of a tumor, or you can also do a blood test looking at circulating tumor cells. And then you do next generation sequencing or genomic testing you know, on those cells itself to help identify what mutations are in the tumor. And are there any mutations that might be you know, what, what's called driver mutations that's driving the process of that cancer growth um, and spread? And if there is, there could be a treatment out there that potentially blocks that, that mutation. Yeah, that, no, that's a great description. I, you know, so um, you know, genetic testing is is really some of the things that in in oncology can predispose you potentially to having cancer, whereas genomic testing is is much more specifically about the criteria of the tumor itself, the mutations, and and that gives that's us right. some insight into into treating it. I think that's a great segue into into the topic that we're gonna dive deep in today uh, with you, Dr. Parikh, and that is immunotherapy. Um, very excited to, to talk about uh, about those advances. Um, but let's just start uh, grounding our audience. Uh, a lot of people have heard the term immunotherapy, uh, but a couple of big words put together. What, what exactly is immunotherapy? Yeah, there's a lot of buzz around immunotherapy. It's such a hot topic. You know, most of my patients will always ask me at this point, am I a candidate? You know, can I get immunotherapy? So I think it's important to understand sort of where we're at today. I mean, I think if we can offer immunotherapy to our patients, we certainly do, just because we see a lot of great outcomes, less toxicities than conventional chemotherapy. But basically the premise is that a lot of times with cancer, your own immune system is, is shut down. So for some reason that we're still learning, uh, cancer could potentially cause the immune system to think that really nothing is going on. So if you have an infection, for example, your body recognizes as a foreign entity, the immune system goes and attacks it. That's not always the case with cancer for multiple reasons. And so what immunotherapy basically does is it wakes up your immune system. It, it takes that pedal off the brakes to activate those T cells, which can go and fight the cancer. That's very helpful. You know, with, with my patients, I sometimes make the analogy that your immune system is your, your body's, uh, you know, national security force or national defense. Um, and it is, it is so trained to keeping out foreign invaders um, you know, primarily infections, but there is a secondary purpose, which uh, again, sticking with that metaphor is to stop, uh, you know, let's call it kind of homeland uh, security or, or homeland homegrown terrorist attacks, which, which can be trickier to detect. And, um, and, and so I sort of use that metaphor. And, and would it be safe to say that uh, to continue that analogy, immunotherapy 
sort of helps our FBI or our domestic forces more readily identify a threat in the sense of a tumor? Absolutely, Pat. That's a great example. So immunotherapy is basically waking up that immune system, telling them, hey, something's going on, go go fight it. And so that's a, that's a great metaphor for really what's happening. Perfect. So with that as a background, let's talk about the, uh, the various immunotherapy drugs. Uh, how, how do these drugs work, Dr. Parikh? Yeah, so it's, they basically work on different ways of, of stimulating that immu the immune system. So the more common ones that we prescribe are checkpoint inhibitors. You see lots of commercials, you know, lots of clinical trials using that. And so as we talked about earlier, that basically what happens is when you have a tumor cell and it can attach to a immune cell or like a T cell, it'll deactivate it. And it basically then knocks out the immune system. So what these checkpoint inhibitor drugs do is they block that signal. It gives the inability for that tumor cell to bind with that, that T cell. So therefore, it activates that T cell so it can go now and fight that cancer cell. Perfect. So kind of sticking with that metaphor, it almost sounds like um, these tumors, uh, you know, try and, you know, kind of hypnotize or, uh, or uh, disguise themselves from, um, from being detected. And what this uh, what this drug will do is is sort of uh, alert the FBI, if you will, that no, this this uh, there is this internal homeland uh, you know threat, and and your body needs to to get on very quickly to stopping it. Yeah, exactly. So that's just one way it can work. There's other treatments like cytokines, where if someone doesn't have a competent or a healthy immune system, you basically give them what they need. You know, there's cancer vaccines. So there's lots of different ways we're trying to manipulate the immune system to, to fight this disease. Terrific. And and one of the questions I, I sometimes get from patients, uh, Dr. Parikh, is, okay, is my entire immune system getting revved up? Is my entire immune system activating? Will I be less susceptible to uh, to infections and the like? And and I you know I always tell them that's that's not how it works and that's not the case. But can you can you kind of shed a little bit more light on that? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. And I have patients that say, oh, so if I get immunotherapy, I'm basically Superman now, right? I can, can do what I want. And we're like, no, 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 wait a minute. I don't think that's the case. And so, so no, I mean, there's no evidence right now that by activating or stimulating your immune system, you are now technically immune or not prone to getting other infections. And so it's still recommended that you get the vaccines that you need, you take the proper precautions. You know, if you're sick, you get the antibiotics. Um, so no, there's really no correlation right now. So, Dr. Parikh, you mentioned that uh, the way that immunotherapy works does not necessarily just overall rev up your immune system and turn you into into Superman. Um, any any kind of insights? Uh, I know there's not really a whole lot of evidence yet, but any impact on what immunotherapy would do um, in with respect to COVID nineteen? Yeah, no, great question, and I think such a relevant topic right now, and the answer is we just don't know, um, because the way immunotherapy works is so different than, you know, a vaccine per se to help uh, fight infections in, in, that you may develop in the future, that I don't think we can make that same leap or, or uh or, or bridge to say that one's going to positively affect the other. So for my patients that are on immunotherapy, I still tell them you got to use the same, you know, guidelines that you know, the CDC, WHO, you know, recommending with appropriate, you know, face masks, face masks and hand washing and, you know, social distancing and all of that, because, you know, there's no evidence currently that being on immunotherapy will protect you from, from COVID-19. Yeah, maybe, maybe sticking on that topic, uh, you know, the word immunotherapy um, can, can encompass a lot of things, maybe be a little confusing. I loved your your background uh, earlier on it. 
Um, yes, it's activating the immune system. Uh, it's related to the immune system, but it's it's different in in fundamental ways than than people traditionally think about it. So, uh, I know some people have asked. Uh, you use the the immunotherapy vaccine uh, earlier. You mentioned that. Um, that's very different than, for instance, the vaccine that's being developed for for COVID nineteen. Um, you know, do, do you want to just kind of you know lend some separation between kind of the the difference here to avoid any confusion? Right, right, yeah. So it's not unfortunately a one size fits all here. You know, I think the the COVID nineteen vaccine that's under development is very specific to the COVID-19 um, virus. And so, you know, with that said, all these other immunotherapy cancer treatments that we're talking about is independent of sort of what's going on. And so we're still looking uh, to get the answers as the phase three trials accrue and we start identifying which vaccines will protect you, you know, from COVID-19. And so hopefully we get those answers, um, you know, by the end of this year or early next year uh, so that we can start applying that. But I think for today, uh, there is no link currently of, you know, cancer immunotherapy drugs potentially protecting you from COVID-19. Thank you for clarifying that. So, and, and thank you for laying this background on what immunotherapy is, how these drugs work. So, so tell us why is immunotherapy such a promising area of cancer treatment? Yeah, just because it's a novel way to treat cancer. You know, for decades now, we've been using chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, and of course, that still has a place in, in cancer care. But with the, the trials that occurred that really demonstrated the benefit of immunotherapy, when it works, you know, it can work extremely better than chemotherapy does with a lot less toxicities. And so you're giving someone a better treatment that isn't gonna make them as sick. You know, you don't get the traditional side effects of hair loss, you know, nausea, that numbness and tingling, you know, that that's stuff that you traditionally think about with chemotherapy. So a lot of my patients that get immunotherapy, you know, really feel well, you know, there are side effects, don't get me wrong, but a lot of times, you know, they just feel so much better than they did when they were on chemotherapy. And a lot of times outcomes are much better. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's one of the things that I love and gets me so passionate about immunotherapy is that idea that you can get better treatment efficacy and much less uh, side effects, generally speaking, on the body uh, because you're activating your own immune system, because you are really targeting uh, the therapy. And and frankly, I, I think that um, it's already so advanced at, at great therapy with less side effects that we're actually going to see even more, um, even more advancements in the future. And so um, t tell me about the direct impact that this is having on patients. Yeah, I mean, patients really want this treatment. And, and now it doesn't work for all cancers quite yet, right? So that's where the role of clinical trials and research is still uh, has a, a huge responsibility to help identify which patients are likely to respond to these treatments. And so, you know, you can't just give it to everybody because it doesn't always work. But, but really, this is the future of, of, of cancer care immunotherapy, combination treatments with potentially chemotherapy or targeted therapies. You know, there's lots of clinical trials now, not only looking in advanced uh, cancers with immunotherapy, but could we do it early on? So there's still lots of questions that need to be answered. And I really think in the next two to three years, we're going to get a lot more information. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, very, very excited about the progress that's being made. Um, if you don't mind, I know there's many, many examples, but but I uh, I think one of the things that I uh, love about what we do is the humanity and really working, you know, directly with individual patients, treating every single patient as we would treat a, our, our mother or our father. 
Um, can you share with our audience maybe you know a specific patient example uh, of of a, a case where immunotherapy was uh, you know was made a key difference? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, thankfully, I think most oncologists have great stories like this now. And and you know, I think about years ago or about four years ago rather, when sort of we were just exploring a lot of immunotherapy in in specifically lung cancer patients. Um, you know, I had a patient with advanced lung cancer that traditionally got the chemotherapy. It worked for a while, stopped working. Next round of chemo to the point where now we exhausted most of our chemotherapy options and she was really uh, suffering from her, her symptoms from the tumors in the lungs, really compromising her breathing. So immunotherapy had just sort of come around, gotten approved um, at the time and I offered it to her. And really within three months, she had a significant improvement in her symptoms. Like I didn't even need to get a CAT scan to tell that it was working. You know, she was, you know, breathing so much better, uh, going for walks with her, with her husband. And, and really this continued. And, and uh, it got to a point where, you know, we got her scan results and things were just getting better and better. And now, you know, there's really, you know, no evidence of disease. And again, I want to clarify, this isn't typical for necessarily everybody, but for her, you know, she had a great, great outcome where about two years ago, we actually stopped her immunotherapy because we decided to just see what would happen. And here, I just saw her uh, a few months back and, and her scan still looked great and she has a great quality of life. So it's just really remarkable how well some people do with immunotherapy. It really is. I, I agree. And it's so um, it, it's so fulfilling for uh, certainly us as the as the doctors uh, getting to um, you know care for those patients. But I love you know meeting patients with that result and their family members and it's uh, it's certainly um, you know the, the more of those stories uh, uh, the better. Uh, that being said, I think you, you've brought up some some really good points. Uh, major advancements, incredible uh, way of treating with, with generally better treatment where, where it's applicable and, and less side effects. That being said, what are some general side effects that, um, that are common for people to be uh, aware of? Yeah, so the easy way I, I try to tell my patients to think about it is think of symptoms of the flu just magnified by a lot. Um, so because you're uh, activating your body's immune system, technically your immune system can attack other organs in your body. So if it attacks the colon, for example, you may get diarrhea. If it affects, attacks the liver, you may develop jaundice. You know, you can get a skin rash. So really, it can attack any organ. But the more common side effects are fatigue, rash, uh, diarrhea, it can affect your thyroid, you know, but most people will experience just minor symptoms where, you know, you may have to just delay the treatment or uh, for a short course, just give them some steroids to suppress their immune response and the symptoms get better. You know, on occasion, unfortunately, there are some people that just can't tolerate immunotherapy because their side effects are just too much where you wouldn't necessarily rechallenge them again. Um, but for the majority of patients, it's very well tolerated. Yeah, no, I think that's that's another aspect that I love about uh, you know, immunotherapy is not only the decreased side effects, but the fact that in in those who may have them, many of them can be um, can be addressed appropriately with with steroid treatments and and other therapies to bring those down. So, um, well, well, Dr. Parikh, you are um, you know frankly a a world expert in in precision medicine and immunotherapy and and taking care of patients, but I know you're also very active in the advancement of, of research and, and trials and, and everything that's on the horizon for immunotherapy. So can, can you share uh, with us, you know, what do you see in the future of immunotherapy and its impact on cancer care? 
Yeah, Pat, great question. And so I'm just so excited to see sort of what the future is going to bring, because right now, you know, we want to be able to offer immunotherapy or really effective therapies to our patients that don't have a lot of side effects, but you got to figure out who's the right type of patient for that type of treatment. So sort of going back to the genomic piece, you know, we do know that there's certain mutations that tumors may have that would suggest that immunotherapy is going to work for you. And so one great example is something called tumor mutational burden, um, which is basically a combination of just neoantigens in, in cancers. Um, recently, the FDA approved immunotherapy for patients that have a certain tumor mutational burden uh, expression in their cancer. So this is such a novel or, or just groundbreaking uh, uh, approval because it doesn't matter what type of cancer you have. It doesn't matter if you have breast cancer or colon cancer or pancreatic cancer. As long as your tumor mutational burden hits a specific criteria, the likelihood of response to immunotherapy is much higher and can be offered. And so I think moving forward, we're going to really identify patient populations that will respond to immunotherapy uh, because of specific tumor signatures they may have, but on the flip side, also identify patients that won't respond to it. And so therefore, you know, we're not putting them uh, at risk at these treatments that still, you know, for the most part are safe, but there are people that do have really bad side effects from it. And so you're going to avoid uh, giving them that treatment. That's very helpful. And, uh, you know, you mentioned tumor mutational burden. I know, I know that's one of those terms, again, that the patients are starting to hear a little bit more of. Can, can you just do one, one sort of deeper dive, you know, kind of what that is so that our, our audience kind of gets a better sense of, of uh, TMB? Yeah, so we're still really understanding what, what TMB really is, but we know that some cancers express a high tumor mutational load or a burden load. And so these cancers make these antigens uh, that are probably potentially uh, making the cancer grow and making it worse. But what we do know is patients that do have a higher tumor mutational burden load tend to respond to immunotherapy better. And, and I think right now the poster child really is lung cancer. Um, we know a lot of patients, you know, because of cigarette smoking, they may have a lot of inflammation, a lot of antigens, you know, in their body. And so these patients may respond, you know, well to immunotherapy potentially because of that type of tumor growth pattern. And so we're still learning, you know, it doesn't work for everybody, but that's sort of in a nutshell what tumor mutational burden or TMB is. Uh, but I think more to come in the coming years. That's that's very very helpful and uh, and I agree. I think um, the the greater advancements that we can make there and try and predict uh, who will be helped by certain immunotherapies and to what extent I think is is absolutely an area that um, that we're going to make a lot of progress on in the in the months and years ahead. You know, Dr. Parikh, you mentioned earlier the the way that immunotherapy drugs work and you mentioned um, checkpoint inhibitors and cytokines. One one of the the things you mentioned was was vaccines. I'm wondering if you could just expand a little bit on um, on what you meant there in terms of vaccines in the context of immunotherapy. There's still a lot in, in the research setting. I think right now uh, there's definitely evidence of, of vaccines potentially helping prevent cancer, such as like the HPV vaccine in relation to cervical cancer. Um, we are starting to look for specific antibodies or antigens that that might, you know, once you have that exposure, uh, cause these cancers to either grow or spread or potentially even develop. So there's there's still, I think, in the more research phase at this point, but eventually, you know, there, there could be an opportunity to have these cancer vaccines as also an adjunct treatment uh, to these cancers. You know, there's other treatments out there with 
something called tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, where we're sort of trying to understand the biology of these tumors and generate a specific antigen response um, in the lab and then re-inject them in, in patients to get these hopefully good responses to their cancer. But that's still a lot of research in that area to, to happen. Thank you. Well, well Dr. Parikh, uh, I'd like to shift gears a little bit. This is the, uh, the part of the, the show where we get to specific patient questions uh, that have been submitted. And uh, I think there's a lot that are, that are relevant here. I'll, I'm going to pick a few. Um, this is a patient that wants to know uh, specifically why immunotherapy isn't more widely used against breast cancer. I know you mentioned that lung cancer uh, was kind of becoming the poster child for immunotherapy, but um, to this patient, can you help uh, sort of shed some light on the role of immunotherapy in breast cancer? Right, and absolutely, it's a great question. And I wish you know we we had immunotherapy options for all of our patients. But kind of going back to you know a well-structured clinical trial and identifying which patient populations will respond better, and specifically to breast cancer, you know, recently the FDA did approve immunotherapy in combination with chemotherapy with a specific subset group of patients with breast cancer called triple-negative breast cancer. Um, but outside of that. Um, you know, there's clinical trials that are ongoing, but unfortunately, there's no evidence currently that immunotherapy has a role in advanced cancers that are not triple negative um, at this point. So I think the research is still happening, and hopefully, we have those options in the future. But uh, currently, outside of a trial, there just isn't. But you know, as you were answering that question, I think it jogged something else. I just wanted to make clear for our audience is that immunotherapy doesn't necessarily need to be a mutually exclusive treatment. It can be given to patients who have been treated previously or uh, in conjunction with other therapies. Anything you'd like to kind of expand on that? Yeah, so there's a lot of data now of combining chemotherapy with even immunotherapy. And so sort of going back to the lung cancer example, um, there's a group of patients that actually do better with that combination of chemotherapy and immunotherapy. And even in that breast cancer population, the triple negative breast cancer, you know, it's that combination therapy. And so there is something to be said about the role of chemotherapy still and how that could potentially, you know, play a role with uh, manipulating the immune system and potentially propagating or improving responses to immunotherapy. So we're still learning a lot about that. But I think combination therapies are really going to uh, be, be coming soon um, in, the, in the forefront and potentially even using it more in the early stage cancer setting as well. Yeah, I, de I definitely, definitely agree. And and sticking on on that same theme of, of various uh, uh, cancer types, um, this is from a patient who writes, I have stage four ovarian cancer and was told I have no, no options left. Are there any new advancements and treatments coming against my disease? And uh, well, first of all, before I pass it over to you, I, I guess one thing I would say to this patient is I know you and I have both seen uh, many, many patients who have had advanced uh, cancer of various types where they've told that they don't have any options left. And we've certainly seen evidence where that wasn't the case and, and patients that um, have you know, successfully gone on to treat. But specifically to this patient's question on ovarian cancer stage four, um, what, what, what you might advise? Yeah, so I would say talk to your doctor about potentially getting genomic testing done and checking for these biomarkers that might suggest uh, immunotherapy working for you. Because right now, uh, you're right in the sense that immunotherapy doesn't have a standard role per se in advanced ovarian cancer outside of a clinical trial setting. But if your tumor does have some of these biomarkers or mutations, which would predict responses to immunotherapy, that's a whole different story. And so I'd really advocate that, that you talk to your physician or oncologist about getting that testing done. 
Yeah, and, and, and that actually is, uh, it ties pretty directly to a, a, a direct question from a patient that uh, is wanting to know about biomarkers. And, and Dr. Parikh, you talked about tumor mutational burden. You just talked about biomarkers um, in, in looking for candidates for disease. So this patient wants to specifically know why are biomarkers checked on some patients and not others? So I think everyone's learning, right? So genomic testing was not something that we learned about in, in medical school. Um, it's, it's sort of an evolving field. And lung cancer was really one of the first to adopt it. And it's actually been incorporated into national guidelines now. And so recently, there are certain genomic tests that have been approved uh, uh, through insurance and that can be uh, offered for patients with advanced cancers. I just don't think all oncologists yet necessarily feel comfortable ordering it or maybe even have the ability to uh, interpret the results or have resources, you know, uh, for clinical trials um, to uh, apply the potential treatment options. So I think it's a great question and I think everyone is still learning, but it's sort of that whole education piece about, you know, looking for genomic testing options, you know, for your tumors. Uh, so to talk really to your doctor about this and see, you know, are there specific mutations you may harbor that no one knew about or didn't look for that might offer better treatment options for you, not even a really immunotherapy, but other targeted treatment options. Yeah, that's great advice. And, uh, and, and, and I think we have time for one more question. So um, kind of tough to pick here, but um, this is actually one that came in from a patient, uh, you know, earlier, um, you know, actually earlier last week. And the patient asked, why, why is there more research being conducted um, uh, with clinical trials on certain cancer types versus others? Can you kind of share, um, you know, how that process works? Yeah, and, that, and, that, and that's a tough question. Believe for me, for a guy that sees a lot of GI cancers, it can often be frustrating as well. But a lot of it has to go with, you know, how common are these cancers? What's the funding, you know, behind it? Can you get a large group of people to enroll in these trials in a quick manner so you can really answer the question of whether a treatment is better than another or safer than another? And so, you know, usually with, you know, breast cancer, colon cancer, you know, lung cancer, a lot of the more common cancers, you'll see potentially more advanced is just because there's more people with those type of cancers. When you have rare cancer types, you know, like a gastric cancer or like a neuroendocrine tumor, you know, oftentimes, you know, you don't get to see a lot of those big clinical trials with hundreds or even sometimes thousands of patients just because you don't have that type of volume there to be able to get that many patients to enroll. So it's a very complicated question and it can also be very frustrating. Um, but I think, you know, with again, going back to the whole precision medicine and genomic testing and targeted therapies, you know, a lot of times there are clinical trials now that are agnostic to where the cancer actually originated from, but really more honed in on what the tumor profile looks like. And so those could really be good options for patients that have some of these rare types of cancers. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, I would maybe just build with two of the points that you made um, that uh, when you and I were training, we used to sometimes just talk about the cancers based on the organ of origin, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, but now there's so much more specificity around a specific mutation that I sometimes say that instead of, uh, you know, 10 cancers, there's 10,000 different types because of, of that aspect. And, and the second is a, is a point that you made, which is no question about it, there are more clinical trials in the more common cancer types. Um, but to that patient and others, um, you know, as a, as a society and uh, within oncology, I feel that we're getting much better at having small uh, clinical trials for patients who, who may, may have a, a less common mutation or things like that. So I think that provides a lot of hope. And to those patients who, who maybe um, 
have a tumor that's not a part of the the common types of cancer, there are plenty of resources out there that can that can help you get to a clinical trial if there is one. No, absolutely. So I would just say, you know, always ask your, your, your doctor that are there any clinical trials for me? And especially with now with social media, I mean, you can really try to find uh, patient advocacy groups and there's a lot of foundations out there, even for these rarer types of cancers that you can get more insight or information from. And so really explore all these options because, you know, there's just the world is so different than it was years ago. So, so, Pat, as we talk more about immunotherapy and sort of the positive impact it has on patients, you know, moving forward, we're really going to see a lot of this uh, in more patients and different stages of their cancer journey, you know, potentially from the beginning um, all the way to, you know, potentially when they have metastatic advanced disease because we're already there at this point. But how do you see this potentially disrupting, you know, the healthcare system as we have it today? Um, you know, for example, a lot of these immunotherapy drugs have gotten approval to be offered every four weeks recently, FDA approval because of COVID. You know, there's one immunotherapy drug that I can offer my patients every six weeks. And so this is really different than what we were normally uh, having our patients come to uh, clinics. So, so how do you see the future of immunotherapy as it impacts um, healthcare and, and cancer? Yeah, I think that's a terrific question, Dr. Parikh. You know, from from my perspective, you know, I, I think about some of these disruptive advancements, these these tremendous advancements as as changing the entire landscape of healthcare. Um, certainly, in in terms of of just quality, uh, you know, outcomes. I, I think this is a a a better in in patients who can tolerate and are candidates for immunotherapy. I think you're going to see. Um, you know, better survival, better quality of life uh, from a quality perspective. So incredibly excited about that. Um, I think anytime you move into a more targeted therapy, uh, you think about 20, 25 years ago, we were doing big open surgeries. We're now doing my, much more targeted surgeries, right? Um, you know, immunotherapy, I think, will be a much more targeted, finessed approach, which will mean that we'll have less of the the kind of you know, larger, uh, you know, therapies that um, we're going to have to not have to deploy to patients who are candidates for immunotherapy. And then finally, it's impossible to talk about the healthcare landscape today without talking about cost and, and accessibility. So, uh, you know, one of the things that um, is my personal mission is to not only, uh, you know, have an American healthcare system that delivers excellent best in the world quality of care, but also that's accessible and affordable. And so, as you mentioned there, uh, I think immunotherapy offers incredible quality, uh, the ability to, to get it for, you know, an extended period of time. Um, and, and something I'd like to see is, is making sure it's affordable for patients and also for the healthcare system. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because especially those patients that are responding well to immunotherapy. I mean, I have patients that have been on immunotherapy for three years now going on four, and I'm sure others have even longer. So it's just sort of, what does that cost add to our healthcare system? But obviously your patient's doing, doing incredibly well with an amazing quality of life. Yeah, you know, I, I, lo I love your example there. I think immunotherapy is a great pathway that can turn cancer into a chronic disease. Um, you know, if you think about the older paradigm, uh, you know, uh, surgery or radiation early on, and then maybe you, a patient enters some you know, mode of, of what we might call survivorship, or, or I prefer the term thrivership, uh, you know, hopefully meaning that they're thriving. But immunotherapy, um, as you mentioned before, it can be something that the patient takes for years. Um, and, and that's a, a, a wonderful advancement 
but you're right that can that can lead to the same issues that other chronic conditions have and i think as a as a society um and as uh, as physicians what we need to make sure that we do is provide these advancements for patients but also do so in a way that they can access it and afford it so that they're not having to choose between uh, a life-saving therapy and, um, you know, and paying for, for food or rent. So um, I know you and I have conversations about that and, uh, and it's something that we work on together. I love to, uh, to end the show um, by asking uh, wonderful guests and experts like you, what advice that uh, or parting thoughts that, uh, that you might have for, uh, for our audience. Yeah, so you know, I'm I'm really big on education, and I think it's very important to understand what type of cancer you have, sort of what are your treatment options, and really what could be the next potential option, right? So a lot of times patients will say, well, I'm on this treatment, I don't know what the next plan's going to be. So really have that honest conversation with your doctor, because I think when you have that better relationship to really be on the same page with expectations and options, you know, I think it it works wonderfully just because you're both advocating each other and, 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 you know, go and look for other options and opinions too, and bring it back to your doctor, because I think there's just so much information now on so many different things that you really have to, to look at all of this because there's so many things out there. So just open communication, trust, you know, I think those are the big things out there right now. And, and really just, you know, keep, keep your eyes out because with these clinical trials and really the advances in oncology care, there's going to be so many new different options that weren't even around last year. Yeah, it goes back to a point you said at the very beginning, which is that as uh, given that cancer changes so so quickly and advances in science occur so rapidly, um, it's a it's a tremendous aspect for uh, for advancements in cancer care. But it leads to a possibility that that patients sometimes may not be aware of all of the the various options. So, the importance of uh, of of asking around and doing that research is is critical. So, well, well, Dr. Parikh, um, it's it's really been a a pleasure having you. I know you're a, a very busy uh, physician uh, on the leading edge of precision medicine and immunotherapy. Uh, really appreciate you taking some time out uh, to join me and our and our audience uh, on the show. So thank you uh, for everything you're doing and thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thank you, Pat. This is a great opportunity and, and, and I love that you're doing this and, and sharing all this helpful information to everybody because I think it's just so valuable to get these honest opinions to, to really improve patient care and, and, and get more education. So thanks for doing this and, and happy to be back. <laughs>